once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Uh, we, we are here to uh, befuddle, bemuse, say our names, possibly um, confuse, uh, hopefully enlighten in, in the process of confusing, bemuddling, confusing. Uh, right. Did exactly. I say that twice? Was I repetitive yes. and redundant? It could be. Mm. But you do such a good job of it. Thank you. Thank you. See what I did there with that? Right. Repetitively, redundantly. Yes. It's quite nice. This is the yes. Personal Wealth Coach. We are here to talk about finance, uh, economy stuff, uh, how you should look at the world to make better decisions about your money. Uh, but before we begin, we have to In tell you beginning. all of the things that are required to be told. We must not open. We are going to disclose, which is like not close, but not open. Otherwise, it would just be open. But we're right. going to disclose. You know, you know, if we really were professionals, we would record all of these disclosures and then put it speed on a machine up. that can speed it up really, really fast where nobody can understand any of them and just play them really quickly in a blurb and then move on. Well, I mean, that goes with the common opinion of professionalism, which is being able to be completely obtuse and um, somehow that's professional. Let me get untransparent immediately. And that'll be very professional. No. So our, our disclosures are for your benefit and our own. Uh, it's kind of good education in the process, which is what we're about. So the Personal Wealth Coach is the name of this radio program. It's also the name of a podcast. It's also, not coincidentally, the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. What does that mean? Well, the firm who we two bald guys in here happen to be principals at that firm, it gives fiduciary advice to individuals and foundations and trusts and corporations and all that stuff. And fiduciary, what does that mean? In the best interest of the person getting the advice. Uh, it is sculptured and tailored advice to people. But we can't do that on the radio because we can't individually sculpt and um, customize our advice to each of you listening even though there may only be one of you out there uh, because we don't well, know which one it is. We don't know if anybody's listening. Uh, what did you say? I wasn't paying attention. Oops. Got it. Sorry. Got it. Uh, yeah. It. Yeah, right. yeah. So um, what that means is that we can't give advice, investment advice on the air, but we can give education on the air. And that's what we intend to do. Uh, and as a side note to that, I just dropped the name of a U.S. government organization with some thump. major clout. Did you hear a thump? thump? Yeah, I heard a thump. Yeah, when you dropped the name. I dropped the name of the SEC um, because they want us to tell you that we're registered with them. But they also want us to tell you that they don't approve anything that we do. They don't give us any form of pats on the heads or kudos or thumbs up or anything like that because they're a government agency. They didn't tell me to say it the way I say it. I just like saying it this way. Because they tell us that we must say we're registered with the SEC, but the SEC does not approve anything we say, which is really boring. Um, they don't approve anything. Anybody does. They just don't disapprove. 
That's that's really what that sometimes when you file with them, it's not an approval process. It's a we didn't disapprove you. So it's very much not like these disclosures are not open. They are disclosed. It's just yeah. just got to get that right. That that's when we're extra professional. We use a word that no one else uses for the thing that we're doing consistently. Yes, and we can't give investment advice because this is an educational program. And because it's an educational program, we have to say this, and this is the only really weird disclosure stuff that we use, and I like to use this word. The information presented on this program in this educational program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. I love saying that. I, I just give a very clear guarantee that we do not guarantee. I guarantee that we do not guarantee the completeness of unsaid information. Mm-hmm. Well, the future is always uncertain. Yes, it's just not what it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, we don't we don't pay for the radio. Yeah, this program. is that's the last one. We don't pay for the radio program, and we don't get paid for the radio program. But uh, we do advertise on the radio station. channel station for the radio program. Yes. Yeah. As well, the studio also advertises on their own station for the radio program. So you know, we, it's a, it's a really, joint advertisement. We really dwell on these disclosures a lot. We do. But yeah. I mean, you could say it really fast, but if we're educating, I think it's important to bring these things out here too. When somebody blasts a disclosure at high speed and then just jumps into whatever they're going to say, it almost makes it so the disclosure is invalid. It's like, don't listen to anything we have to say. Please listen to me now. Something along those lines. I can hear Monty Python in there somewhere. Okay. So now let's jump into what happened in the market this week. Well, a lot of news was generated by the market this week. I I love the headline in the Wall Street Journal. Dow tumbles nearly 1,000 points as stocks extend sell-off. You know, a thousand points in the Dow Jones Industrial Average used to be a big number. Yeah. It's really not that big a number anymore. Anyway, let's start what happened during the week. I have the um, Wall Street Journal in my office from early in my career where uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average crossed 3,000. I well remember when it crossed 1,000. So if it had fallen a thousand points at that point, that, that would, have been, would have been news. Nothing left. Uh, but it's just uh, a, a much smaller percentage than it used to be. The future just ain't what it used to be. Uh, you can say that again. You can say that again. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and into Thursday morning, the market indicators were going up. The Dow, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, they were all going up. It was kind of nice. And on the Thursday morning, the 21st, the S&P 500 stock index jumped upward at the beginning of the day to about 4511. Why is that important? I mentioned this before, 4,500 is kind of a benchmark that I've kind of stuck in there. Okay, it crossed 4,500. And it was above that level, and it sounded really good. But for the rest of the week, it sunk Thursday and Friday until it closed Friday at 4,271.78, down 2.75% for the week. That puts the Standard & Poor's 500 Stock Index, affectionately known to us as the SPX. Which you can't really pronounce as three letters. It's just... Spix. Yeah, it's Spix. You're putting an, a, a vowel in there, though. It's not got any. Well, vowel. anyway, go ahead. X, the SPX. X, X sometimes has a vowel associated. Anyway, it uh, it's now officially in a correction again for the second time this year. It's down 10.37% year to date. Um, 
looking back a year ago, when the past few minutes say, well, the Dow's down a little bit or the S&P 500 is down somewhat this, for this week, but it's up for the year. Well, it's up 2.19% from a year ago, which is pretty anemic compared to what it's done in the past. And there's another point, and we watch this, by the way, the Standard Poor's 500 stock index is now below its 300-day moving average. What's that got to do with the price of eggs in China and the quantity of rusty razor blades in Yugoslavia? Well, the, Yugoslavia the, doesn't exist. Anymore. The former Yugoslavia, yeah. Former Yugoslavia. Um, our research suggests that if it goes two weeks below the 300-day moving average historically, it has had further, yeah. it's further declines are in line. But it's but again, the other the other side of that is this is the second time it's gone into a correction this year. And the last time it went into a correction, it bounced back up out of it rather enthusiastically. So keep watching. It'd be interesting to see what happens next week. The yeah. market is not boring. Your earnings um, season is truly in and going, and a lot of right. companies are coming out with really nice earnings. Interestingly enough, and this is one of those things that's a myth buster, if ever there was one, there's this old myth around and we actually got a question on that this week that says if stocks go up bonds go down if bonds go up stocks go down so if you have bonds and stocks in the portfolio you have a balanced portfolio and it'll be a smoother ride well this week bonds went down and stocks went down uh, as a matter of fact the on friday the pundits were pundit dating or whatever they do and they were saying, having surveyed a bunch of uh, investors and traders, they concluded that the reason the equity indexes went down, the things like the S&P 500 and the Dow, was because it was a massive sell-off in the bond market. You know, the sell-off means the value of bonds dropped dramatically. There is no – actually, there is, but it doesn't have any relevance. There is no S&P 500 bond index. Uh, there's something pretty close to it. But bonds generally fell during the week. During the last two days of the week, and they fell rather substantially. And as they were falling, people started selling socks. 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 Yes, because they socks. their feet were too hot, so they started they selling getting, socks immediately. Well, they got cold feet. I'm shorting socks. Well, no, sir. Those are right. just ankle free socks. Those are not short. Right. They're, you're not shorting the socks. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Um, we follow another equity index, which is actually a bit obscure to say the least. The CRSP, U.S. Midcap Value Index. Um, but we like mid-cap value. We're prejudiced. It declined 1.23% for the week. It closed at 2548.38 for those who track such things, all three of us. But it is down only 1.88% from its high point at the beginning of the year. It's up 5.75% from this time yes, year, next last year. Now, why is it important? We're seeing something that happens sometimes in markets. It sometimes takes decades for it to happen, but it's one of those things that's important to us. And that is a fundamental shift from high growth companies to value companies in the market. And we are always waiting for that because we're value investors. Uh, the value companies are companies that are priced in the market according to their underlying intrinsic value, the value of their property and their equipment and their e productivity. E and easier way to say it is if, if you had a net worth and people said, I will pay you for whatever you owe at your net worth. That's kind of what a value company is. Yeah. Roughly. That's, that's roughly. Uh, and then the other part of the market, and the part that normally dominates during major bull markets, is 
the growth side, where if you look at the underlying value of the company, if you were just to look at its real estate value and its equipment value and everything else, its patents and trademarks and everything else, and you add it all up, you find out the company is priced much higher than that in the market. Tesla is a prime example. Uh, why is it priced so high in the market? Because people think it's going to have a lot of earnings in the future. And that's the growth side of the market. And the growth side of the market is getting beat up pretty badly. And the value side of the market is actually holding up relatively well, which indicates that there is a fundamental shift going on in the market at this point. And that's geeky stuff, but that's the kind of stuff we follow. Um, so it's doing the, the value, the mid-cap value side of the market is doing relatively well. The yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note rose 1.24% to 2.9% at the close of business day yesterday. 2.9%. Um, that's pretty, it's getting up close to 3%. Right. And that's the 10-year note. Um, and it's important to, to delineate here. Interestingly enough, and I, I suspect we're going to see the 10-year note continue to rise. Well, let me back up. First off, the yield curve is positive. The 30-year Treasury bond is at 2.947. 2.9 and 2.947 are not very far apart, but it's still the 30-year is higher than the 10-year, so that's good. The two-year Treasury note is at 2.697, roughly 2.7%. There's not a great deal of difference between, at this point, between 30 years and two years, but it's still positive. And it's when it goes negative and stays that way for several weeks or a couple of months uh, that we get an inverted yield curve, which forecasts a uh, recession coming. And we don't have that right now. Um, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil fell back a little bit, 101 0.15, down about 5% for the week. So it's still little, up 60. A little over $100 a barrel. Right. It's still up 63% from this time last year, which means that if you go to the gas pump, you'll notice that immediately. Um, what I put a relatively small amount of fuel in my car yesterday, and it was $50. And it's always a bit of a shocker because I used to fill up when I had a motorhome back in the dark old days many years ago, and I had a huge tank in it. And I'd fill it up and it was $50. And I thought, as a matter of fact, we used to get a, I don't know, some of you remember where you'd go to the gas station and you'd be pumping fuel into a big pickup or a, a truck or something. And at $50, it automatically cut off. You had to reinsert your credit card and do it again. Now, if they did that, nobody would be able to get any gas. Um, it's high. And, and that's, that's one of the realistic things that's going on in our country right now. And we can talk about that a little more too. Um, at some point, it's probably good to talk about those interest rates um, and what's going on and what's going on in the markets. But we have questions. Yeah, we have and a whole series some questions. of questions, really good ones. Some, some of them are about the market. First one we got was from Justin. Okay. Um, Justin wanted to know where the money's going. Right, because money, because the stock market and the bond market are falling at the same time. And there's selling. In other words, there's a sell-off in the bond market, a sell-off in the stock market. And he was under the impression that if the bond, it, it, he's under that traditional impression that if stocks sell off, people buy bonds, and if bonds sell off, people buy stocks. And since they're both selling off at the same time, which by the way means there's not any place safe to hide if you want growth, if you and you want to avoid market fluctuations. Um, That's always been the case, going. but pe people people tend to think there's a safe place and to get growth. There is, and, and Justin, I'll tell you, there's a there's a way you can figure this out. If you look at what short-term interest rates are out there for T-bills and so on, you notice that they're uh, running up 0.55%, things like that. Go to a money market fund 
go to a bank certificate of deposit. You can find these on uh, bankrate.com. You'll discover they're paying next to nothing for short-term money. It's still nearly zero. 0.24% is, is, is a big interest rate in a money market fund right now, if you can find it. It's generally like 0.008% in a money market fund. What does that mean? Why are short-term interest rates where you want to save your money so low if interest rates are going up? The answer is it's market-driven. The money market fund's interest rates are not driven. There's a, there's a more complexity to it in this, but they're not driven by the Federal Reserve. They're driven by the fact that people are pouring money in there. And when people pour money into debt securities and money market securities or debt securities, there is a tendency for the price to go up and or the interest rate to go down. Well, since money market funds don't have price fluctuation, they stay at $1, the interest rate goes down. There's just a lot of people taking money out of the bond market and stock market and sticking it into money market funds and bank deposits right now. And that causes interest rates to be really, really, really low over there. And that's where the money's going. As a matter of fact, that leads us to another story. Yeah, well, there's several other tied together there. Two, there's, there's all of our questions this week are interrelated. We've got, we've got four questions out there, uh, two from Justin and two from John. Inquisitor John, thank you very much. Um, and I think we can combine these questions, actually. I think it's pretty simple to do it. So Justin's asking, where's the money going? There's a sell-off in stocks. There's a sell-off in bonds. John is saying, there's a, what, what does it mean when people say a strong dollar? The dollar is growing. He's got an article from the Wall Street Journal where it's talking about the value of, of the dollar is rising in international markets. And then he has another one talking about stable coins, the type of crypto versus other cryptos. And what is that? And then Justin has a circular misunderstanding of bond prices and yields. Why is it that prices go down when interest rates go up? And they're all the same question. You, it's just what's going on right now. So, so if I approach this, you, you mean you just laid out people are going to cash right now because they're scared. And and I've got stuff from Lipper, uh, the the uh, fund rating company that's showing um, you know outflows from both equity and bonds at the same time. The more that doesn't shock anybody, I'm sure, because the markets are dropping, and that only happens when you sell. If a lot of people are selling, that means money's coming out. Where's it going? Well, it's going into bank assets, as you said, CDs, uh, savings. And we can see that at the Federal Reserve. We see uh, there's about $23 trillion sitting in banks right now versus about $17.5 trillion pre-pandemic. So it's, we're talking about nearly $6 trillion of new money sitting out there in the banks. Um People are sending money to the United States from overseas because they're afraid. They get that way in a pandemic. They get that way in a war. They know America is safe. So in essence, they're buying dollars. That causes the stronger to be uh, the dollar to be stronger. It causes it causes it, the stronger to be dollar. Yes, it causes the stronger to be dollar. Right, uh, right. Uh, it causes <laughs> because more people want to buy dollars. It causes the dollar to buy more elsewhere, but it makes it hard for us to sell things because our prices got higher. So if we're trying to sell to Germany, but our dollar just went up, it means all of our prices are more expensive to them, but it's easier for us to buy. So 
expect our balance of trade, the deficit, to go up. Not necessarily because we're buying more. We will be buying more. But because people will be buying less from us because our prices are higher. Because we have a strong dollar. Uh, what do you have next? I've got, uh, I've got something we haven't talked about at all. Go for it. Jobless claims slipped lower last week. Um, initial jobless claims, which is basically when somebody gets laid off, decreased to 184,000 from 186,000 the week before. We talked about 186,000 being really low, and it's lower than that. Um, it's about, this is what the Wall Street Journal is saying, it's hovering around half-century lows for, for layoffs. Um, this is really a good time to be an employee. Because And you can see this in union issues all over the country where unions are coming in and say, hey, we need to have our wages increase because of inflation and so on. As long as they're not making it structural so that we get raises every few years regardless, um, it's, it's kind of a buyer's market when you're the employee. You're, you're buying an employer. Uh, you you get to make the choices and you get to lay out what you want. There are still places where it's difficult to get a job. There's still people that are unemployed, but the vast majority of people have the employment that they want. This is really cool, but this is also part of the issue with with inflation. And I I think it is hilarious. I this is why I would never want to be in politics. Because you run on a platform of let's get jobs to everyone, and then you take the blame when the inflation takes off, and then what's what, what is your no? Let's get these people to stop working. Um, how, and then you've got to come in and say I'm fighting inflation. So how do you fight inflation as a president? Just side note, guys, there's not a whole lot that the president can do to fight inflation or to create inflation. This has been the case no matter who's president. It's really hard for a president to create or stop inflation. They get the blame. Uh, I, I think Jimmy Carter was a pretty dysfunctional president, but he's not the reason why we had inflation during his administration. Uh, Ronald Reagan had some pretty nasty inflation at the beginning of his terms. He's not where it came from. He got the blame for it. Um, Bill Clinton had low inflation, and he got the credit for it. Uh, George W. Bush, full, almost two full terms of great economic issues, low inflation. It was just fantastic. And then we had the Great Recession, and that was his fault. The president is not who causes the economy to stumble. And this is, I, I wish that this was, there was a way to teach this to everyone. But it's just so much fun to have someone to blame. It really is nice to be able to blame the gas at the pump, the prices, which are way too expensive, according to anyone. It's, it sure is nice to be able to say, thanks, Obama, or thanks, Biden, or thanks, Trump. And if it makes you feel better, you can do it, but it's not reality. And, and that's, that is maybe the biggest thing that I can say. Politicians want to create jobs. They're rarely the ones that do it, unless there's a war going, and then the army hires a bunch. Um, but they get the credit for unemployment or employment, unless there's bad inflation, then the credit for employment is not as, as great as the inflation issues are bad. 
It's got two little tidbits uh, as we wind down towards the end of the second hour. Uh, and both of them are about oil. Uh, one is about sunflower oil. The sunflower oil and rapeseed oil, which we call canola oil in the United States because we don't like the word rapeseed. Right. Um, and we can throw palm oil in here, too, because there's some big news on well, that the, front as well. That's a separate, that's a separate issue. The, the point is that uh, both canola oil, which we use a lot of in the United States, and sunflower oil, which we use a tremendous amount of in the United States, the primary supplier in the world is this country in Eastern Europe called Ukraine. Yep. And there seems to be a disruption going on there now. Um, price of food, as a result, is going up. It isn't anything that the Congress did or the president did when the price of food goes up in this case. It is something the Russians did. The other side of oil, and it's actually gas I'm talking about here. Let me throw in the palm oil just for okay. the exactly throw the, in the same palm thing. Oil. Indonesia is the largest supplier of palm oil to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of activists that are upset about it because of orangutan habitat. And I, that's, it's a very valid activist approach, but Indonesia just announced yesterday that it is sus- suspending all exports of palm oil. Really? Because there are big protests in Indonesia about the rising cost of cooking oil. Yes. Because of Same. sunflower oil, canola oil. Right. So expect palm oil to go up. And palm oil is in everything. Yes. It, it is in hard candy, which how do you get oil in there? Well, they did. Uh, so expect a lot of food prices to change just on this. Now back to the next layer of oil that we should not eat. Natural gas. Oh, I, get Europe. That, I get that too. Mostly from Europe, eating hard candy. This, you know? this is a this is an example of Russian incompetence. Um, the incompetence being displayed by the Russian army and organization is truly astonishing to me. A significant portion of the natural gas that goes into Europe that Europe is totally dependent upon and wishes it could not be dependent upon goes through Ukraine. Now, in fact, the large Ukraine, there's a pipeline that goes from Russia through Ukraine into the rest of Europe that is the largest single supplier of natural gas to Europe. And apparently, where the Russians have occupied, they have done a lot of damage, and they are taking over everything, and they have evicted the people from the pumping stations that are supposed to pump this gas, and the pumps are shutting down. And the uh, petroleum company that in Ukraine that that supervises the transition of this gas through Ukraine is warning that the pipes are shutting down. So the Russians who are threatening the West with horrific results, if they cut off the buying natural gas from Russia are in the process of shutting down natural gas going to Europe, not intentionally, but inadvertently. Um, It's not to say the Russians aren't dangerous. It's not to say that they couldn't, plunge the world into a world war very quickly. It's just that the level of incompetence and poor planning that's going on in this military operation is pretty awesome. I, I don't <laughs> think I can, and as a, as a former professional military officer, I can tell you I am astonished at the lack of coordination and the incompetency and the lack of professionalism that the Russians are displaying, uh, including publicly promoting a Lieutenant Colonel who was who did apparently many of the war crime activities uh, near Kiev during the siege of Kiev, uh, 
reporting, promoting him from lieutenant colonel to colonel and then publicizing it and saying he's a hero. Um, this, the end result of this thing going on in Eastern Europe right now is I can't even imagine any good end to this at this point. Uh, the world has changed profoundly in a very short period of time. And if you haven't already, just give up waiting on things to get back to normal. They're yeah. not going to get back to normal. It doesn't make any difference who's in charge. It doesn't make any difference what they do. This, uh, this is a headline I saw, and I, it made me laugh. Uh, it had to do with the French elections going on, Le Pen uh, versus Le Macron. Excuse my French there. Um, the headline is, uh, the political battle is on, but French politics may be changed forever. And it made me laugh because... Anytime somebody gets elected or reelected, politics gets changed forever. You could say that about anybody being elected, and people do. It's headlines everywhere all the time. The whole concept of the new world order, it implies that there's some kind of an order to it. <laughs> it's, the, it's the world chaos as it exists. And uh, if somebody has an order to it, is it's who gets to make the decisions uh, on a world scale? Is it China? Is it the United States? Is it Europe? And I think a lot of people were afraid for a long time that Europe would become some kind of a, a pansy-ish world leader in the new world order. And there were a lot of people upset by the idea of blue helmets going around. But we can see that is not the direction that the world took. As this the is... world turns. Oh, we're out of time. Oh, we're, we are. We are way out of time. And this has been uh, the Personal Wealth Coach. If you wish to contact us, you're certainly welcome to do so. We do manage money for, we're, we're wealth managers is what we do for people of relatively high net worth. And you can contact us locally at 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that same line toll free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, read our newsletters, you can uh, listen to radio programs, you can find our uh, podcasts anywhere where podcasts are found, uh, and you can uh, email us directly or contact us through the contact form. Our email addresses are jeff or jake at tpwc.com. Thanks for listening to The Personal Wealth Coach.